Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and I am joined yet again by Micah Chudley and Dan Lambert. Guys, welcome back. Hello. Lovely stuff. So on this podcast, we will be dissecting what went wrong against Stoke, followed by a bit of a preview of Monday's game against Sheffield United. And we'll also take a quick look at the FA Cup draw. Uh, that was on last week. Uh, so let's have a look at Stoke first of all. Um, from the, let's sort of go back right to the start and start with the team selection. Um, Warburton stayed firmly in his belief that that is the best formation for us, regardless of what personnel is available. And Field and Kakai deployed at left wing back and right wing back. So how did this go then, guys? Um, well, firstly, I want to say November was good whilst it lasted. Um, it was a weird, I mean, we had this in our group chat before the game, uh, loads of discussion on formation. And admittedly, I even thought it was a, a 4-3-3 um, at first. And it looked, it looked that way until, right until the, to the, to the kickoff. Um, field at left wing back was an interesting one for me. I don't mind it as in the sense that, I think that the centre mid and wing back or full back position can be quite interchangeable, but Phil doesn't really have the athleticism to go up and down the wing. He doesn't have that Lee Wallace final ball. Um, Kakai, he's not really a wing back, is he? He's a more of a full back slash centre back hybrid. Um, and especially post match when Warburton said that he just, um, Phil doesn't played there before, it kind of felt like he just he plugged him in almost. It wasn't really a fluid position for him yeah I mean we've seen this earlier on in the season haven't we Barnsley at home when we kind of we suffered for the first uh probably 30 minutes wasn't it we were 2-0 down I think it was Thomas and Dazelle that were I think was it Thomas specifically at wing back that day and then I think it was Thomas and Kakai wasn't it Kakai was on the left though and Thomas was on the right yeah and then Dazelle got hooked as well didn't he for Don Ball so um you know, it's another occasion where we've had a player, two players really kind of play out with their position. Um, you know, Kakai, I, I don't, I, I like him. You know, he's he works hard for the team. He never stops running. But like you said, he's a right back, isn't he? He's not really a, a wing back. So um, he just doesn't have that final delivery. And to be honest, following Albert Adoma, the way he's been playing recently is a tough act to follow. Um, Micah, what... What were you thinking when the team selection came out? Like, are you sort of lined up with what Dan was saying, thinking it was going to be 4 3 3 or a variation of that? Um, well, my first instinct when I saw the team sheet was, oh my god, we're going to lose today. Um, it just, just the amount of injuries at the moment, it's just like it's, it's getting tough to put a team out every week with the amount of injuries we have. Um, to be honest with you, I wasn't sure. Like you said, in the group chat, I didn't say anything, but in the group chat I was observing, there was a lot of discussion about 4-3-3s, 4-2-3-1s. Um, I think somebody suggested Dozo was left wing back um, and they ended up not even being that far off because it was uh, Soundfield in the end. Yeah, just echoing what Dan said. The problem is, obviously, you know, Field, I don't think he was awful at left wing back. He was a square peg in a round hole. But the problem is, if on one side, your left wing back isn't getting forward, you need your right wing back on the other side to get forward. And, you know, it's well documented. Kai is not the best crosser of the ball. He's not exactly, he's not really a wing back, is he? Like Dan said, again, he's a full back or he's a right sided centre back and a back three. Um, so I just think from from when the lineups came out, I was just very very negative. Yeah, I mean when when the team did come out, I was quietly confident that it was going to be four at the back, or and we would it'd be a variation on that. Um, and then you know getting into my seat and seeing Field appear at left wing back, I was absolutely shocked. I just don't understand why Warburton is so. Um, so adamant in these situations that that's the way to go. I mean, obviously the formation is probably our best formation when everyone's available. But when we start losing players, we haven't really got the cover for that position. Um, I guess you could. I guess you could say though is that we spent like the entire summer just in Warburton's defence. We did spend the entire summer kind of recruit, recruiting 
for a three four one two or a five two three or whatever it is we play. So the idea that like we switch to a four two three one, I'm not actually sure with the injuries as well. We have the depth. Like let's imagine we went four two three one, and we had Chair on the left side, Willock on the right, and whoever you want to put in the middle. Uh, what happens if Chair gets injured? What happens if Willock gets injured? I don't think we have wide players for us to kind of play that shape. Yeah. Like if something goes wrong, I think like though you've got to just carry on hoping that you're not going to get any more injuries. We've been unlucky in a certain sense, but we do have at least three players that we know are quite injury prone in Device, Field and Wallace. They've all been out, or they're all out. No, sorry, Field's back, obviously, but two of them are out currently of injuries. Field was injured before the season started. Um, you know, Then you can ask the question, I guess, should they have been signed on that basis? But they have played well enough to deserve being signed. However, you've got a you can't just carry on, I think, in this way of just trying to force something into that formation. You've got to mix it up a little bit, otherwise it is just gonna end up with Kakai being you know nullified. You the if we get Willock and Chair out in the wings, they're probably slightly it's certainly chair, I'd say, then it wouldn't be as effective. But he's got to try something different. It's certainly from next week, because otherwise, you know, you know, we're never going to get anywhere playing five at the back with wing backs that don't suit the formation. You may as well try chair and Willock out wide. Um, otherwise, I think also, to... sorry, Alex, um, the midfield was an interesting one for me. We were 3v2 all game. Mm. Um, I, I get the back four isn't suited for us defensively, um, but neither was the back five in, in areas on Sunday. Um, Rancic, I thought, had a very good game and that was partly because he had a lot of time and space on the board as the uh, second goal showed. So I think if we went for a midfield three, Field, Dezel and Johansson, we could have actually matched them up, gone man-to-man and maybe dealt with that a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. It's think... funny. It's funny you say that. Actually, Dan, sorry, Alex. It's funny you say that because <clears throat> what I was thinking as an alternative is you could go four three two one, and that way you don't have to have, like Alex said, put in chair and bullet wide. I think you kind of just like nullify their their threat and their creativity of their two wide. But if you go four three two one, you kind of keep a lot of the shape. You add an extra midfielder if you wanted. You could have someone like Don Ball, like at the base of the the three in the middle. He could step into the back three or whatever, step into midfield when we're attacking. And that way we do kind of keep our shape to a degree, not entirely, but we do. That's that's the thing. We need to be, that's the minor details of flexibility that we need at this, at this point in in the season to to push up, to push on. I mean, I get, I agreed what you said earlier, Michael, about the back five, we recruited to it, but there almost comes a point where sometimes you do need that tactical flexibility to get you through certain games against different opposition. And if I'm right in remembering, the way that you're suggesting that Don Ball plays there is exactly how Ian Holloway had um, Grant Hall playing when we were playing a fiver back under him. Ball, mm. uh, Hall would come out and then drop back. And, you know, obviously, again, it's a little bit of a situation where you've got a, a player playing slightly out of position when we're in attack. But, you know, I think Don Ball could certainly do a job there. I think Phil could do a job there. They've, they're yeah, both decent more. enough players, you know. I, I don't, and like Dan said, you've just got to have that little bit of flexibility. Um, so, you know, I think, would we have, what would we have done if we were, if you were Warburton, what would you have done in that situation? Would you have gone with four at the back or would you have tried to stick it out with what he did? Like, um. I'd have probably gone 4-3-3. Three, three. Um, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, you could, like Michael said, with Chair and Willett played narrow, you could pin them onto their wide centre-backs and try and stretch them that way. Uh, obviously, you've got the 3v3 in midfield. The full-backs aren't ideal for going forward, but if you, if we've known, we're known for attacking in whatever system anyway, so I don't think that would be too much of a problem. Um, it was just certain areas in the game, like the midfield battle, I thought we lost... We lost on Sunday. That, that could have, um, we could have changed that really. Yeah, I think it was shown earlier on in the season. So playing two midfield, it's given Johansson and whoever's his sort of partner in midfield a lot to do, and and it's quite often we're getting overrun. I th- remember saying it after the Millwall game that we were just 
constantly overrunning the midfield because you're just a man down all the time. Um, and we don't we don't even go man to man sometimes on the two yeah. makes it even more difficult. Yeah. Um, so let's. I actually thought like up until the goal we weren't playing that bad for you know regardless of the the problems that would eventually show in the formation and stuff like that. I thought we were playing well. We could controlling the game all right. It wasn't the quickest, but we created a few chances and perhaps chair again with a header could have scored. Should have scored. I don't know. Like. What were your guys' thoughts up until the goal? Should have scored. Chair should have scored that, in my opinion. I don't know what you guys think. Uh, I, I, I was on the other end of the... I was behind the other goal, so I couldn't really see from my direction. But the keeper did have a, a good game, in fairness. To him, so I, I think yeah. I think people are forgetting that the keeper was unbelievable. Adam Davis, I think his name is. It's another, key, it's another keeper that's had a blinder against us this season. Yeah, there's, there's about four or five... I mean, Travers... Yeah. Bentley for Bristol City. There's there's loads of them turning up. Yeah, man. He he was brilliant. He probably the best keeper performance I've seen at Loftus Road this season. I think even better than Bentley, Bristol City. Yeah, I mean um, his save from uh, Charlie's Charlie Austin's. Um, he took a volley, didn't he? And he just about tipped it over the bar. Like that was definitely going in. That was a fantastic yeah. save. And then eventually he would save George Thomas's shot right at the end of the game as well. Um, but yeah, I think you're right, Micah. Chair probably should have scored. He had a lot of the goal to aim at and he just never got a lot of power on it. Um, he, he just appears sort of unmarked. But, you know, there we go again. Sort of, he's got to be scoring headers now as well. Um, let's look at the first goal. I think Dazelle's a bit too casual. And then it's just like the back, four, back three is beaten for pace. What, what What's your guys' thoughts? Um, I mean, Dazelle losing the pass. It, it... It happens in our side. We've lost. We've lost loads of balls. It wasn't ideal, but the it, it annoyed me the fact that we didn't a we didn't pressure Vrancic on the ball. I mean, we know his ability on the ball anyway, um, and he did put a good good through ball and pass our defence. But then we don't track the runner either. And if you don't pressure pressure the man on the ball, you've got to at least try and go with the runner. I think Jimmy Jimmy Dunn sort of um, stopped at one point and just kind of slowed down gradually. Um, which is pretty frustrating, and it's it's another goal for the counter. I think we've conceded four or five goals off the counter now, the most in the league this season, which is something to be worried about, really. Yeah, Michael, what were yeah. your thoughts on the first goal? Yeah, it's a weird one. Obviously, those Dazelle's giving the ball away, but you know that that's not really, in my opinion, any excuse for what was going on between the three centre backs. I think it was personally, I think it was between Dunn and Barbe because the ball's gone literally right between the middle of the centre-backs and in a back three, a narrow back three as we sort of lined up, well, as we were lined up for that goal anyway. When they were going through, they were, we were really narrow at that point. They were, yeah. There was so much space out wide. Yeah, so it, it makes absolutely no sense that a ball can go through the middle of three centre-backs and then you've got two of them. to Barbe, to be fair to him, I'm going to have a go at him a bit later, in the pod but Barbie to be fair I don't necessarily think that this goal was on him I think like Dan said Dan just kind of just freezes and is like mm. oh maybe that's not my man and stops and it's like at that point if the ball has gone between like the middle of your three centre-backs it don't matter whose man it was just as somebody that plays football on a Saturday it the manager is not going to care whose man it is like that that's run through the middle of the pitch you have got to get back there as quick as possible you have to make that recovery run um Absolutely no idea. I've, I've got the goal here. I'm watching it back here again. Absolutely no idea why it is that it's what, like one pass, two passes from us getting the ball straight into turning around into them scoring. No idea why that's happened. And it just comes down to what we've been saying on the pod. Like our pressing game just isn't there. The counter press game isn't there. We lose the ball and then we're so easy to cut open once we've lost the ball. Like that can't be the case if we're going to attack the way we do. Yeah, I think... Done. If he's going to do anything, he's got to at least try and stop the ball getting through, rather than just let that go through as well. Because he looks, I just don't understand why he's. He, he seems is he a bit higher up than the rest of the, than Dicky and Barber? Yeah, he is. He is. Well, him, him, him and Dicky are kind of quite close together, but he, mm. he is higher than Dicky by quite a quite a long shot. And obviously, like you know, looking at it on the highlights, we'd, you'd have to watch like the full ninety again. But you know, mm. at times we do rely on, well, we rely all the time on our three centre backs to 
progress mm. out of the back foot out of the back with the ball. Dickie does it quite a bit. He runs with the ball before moving it on. Um, you know, is it these are the risks that Warburton wants us to take. But at this point, is possibility is it possible that we sort of you know losing the ball from there and uh Dunn's a bit too high up and mm. we've we're a bit too susceptible to the counter. Um to be fair, to be it, fair, watching it back yeah. again, watching it back again, to be fair, Dickie does play Campbell offside. Now it's a question of whether is it done that's not done his job, or is Dickie, because we know Dickie, he's he's a great defender, but he's not the fastest. Is Dickie worried about Tyrese Campbell's pace and he's dropped the line back a bit because he's worried about losing him? Because if that's what has happened, then it's Dickie's fault. If Dickie's where he should be, then it's Dunn and Barbe's fault. Probably I, reckon you got, I reckon you've got to drop the line though. If you don't, if no one's pressuring Brancic and we know we're um, bad for pace anyway in the back three, you've got to drop. You've got to drop five ten yards to to be able. To yeah, catch but that's, that's 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 only that's only if the line drops with you. In this situation, yeah. Dan and Bart here at the halfway line, Dickie's behind it. So if Dickie shouted, "Let's drop back," and they haven't dropped back, then yeah, you could you can probably say that. But if it's a case of They've gone to they've gone to play the line high to try and catch him offside, and Dickie's worried about his pace. Then it's Dickie's fault. I don't really know, but it's an awful goal to concede. That's what I will say. Yeah, and it kind of just stops us in our tracks, doesn't it? Because like I said we were sort of we're playing good up until that point and created a few chances. Um, in fact, actually, we played a couple of nice moves down the right with Kakai, and at that point, I know you said his crossing wasn't very good, but he put. I certainly remember him putting one really good ball into the box and there's no one there for him. Um, obviously, that, that just doesn't get picked up on the 90-second highlights or whatever it is. But he did um, he did all right at the start of the game. Um, let's move on now to the penalty. Uh, it was a clear penalty, wasn't it? It was dragged. It was a bit Barbe, I think, that was fouled, dragged back in the box. He basically ripped Barbe's shirt off. It was. So, I, I cannot I, believe he protested that. I cannot believe he was arguing to the ref there wasn't a pen. I mean, they Stoker and the new Preston, though, aren't they? The way they were playing with the time waste and all that sort of stuff, it was, um, uh, you know, com- it, it, complete polar opposite to the outcome of the Preston game where we managed to overcome the time waste and stuff like that and there was obviously that massive relief at the end of the game this time round we just sort of play into it and, but yeah it's such an obvious penalty there's the golden opportunity we haven't played very well penalty bit of a freebie um who wants to describe what happens next it's diabolical I was at the game I let Dan do it it was right in front of me um I didn't see him look at the keeper once um, I was I was confident ahead of it. I, I must admit, but uh, it was it was one of the tamest penalties I've ever seen. It, it like bobbled before him. Uh, I'm pretty sure Davies could have gone the wrong way, got up, and then still managed to to reach it at the other other um, the far post. But uh, it was one of the worst penalties I've seen I've seen live for a long time. Um, yeah, there's no there's not much much more to add on onto that really. Yeah, I mean, it's such a gutting moment, isn't it? Because, like you said, you were, com- you know, being confident in Charlie Austin, who's scored penalties for us before. Obviously, his one before this was the uh, first penalty of the penalty shootout against Sunderland, which went wrong as well. Um, but you'd have still backed him in the situation. Mm. You'd have thought he's he would have got got it away. I saw some suggestions kind of the season as well. First yeah. kind of the season. Well, like in regular play, that is, yeah. We've, yeah, we've, yeah, yeah. We should, we've, we've taken plenty. Like, they shouldn't be crap yeah, at good. this point. I didn't uh, realise that was our first pen. I'm just thinking back now. Yeah, it is, isn't it? We haven't had one. Well, uh, it was just such a disappointing moment. It really was. If he just puts a little bit more meat on it, it it's surely, surely he gets a goal. Because it... it I just, I just can't, I can't believe he missed it. It was so gutting. Um, do we have a bit of a penalty problem? Because uh, I've seen it suggested on Twitter, and obviously Twitter is the fountain of all knowledge. Okay. But people suggesting that you know Austin can't take penalties at the moment, and Dykes hasn't been able to take a penalty well for a couple of games. Apparently, um, I think didn't Dykes did Dykes score against Sunderland? He did, didn't, didn't he? Play, did he? 
Yeah, he, he did. He, he was the one that scored. Charlie Austin got his saved on target and the rest were diabolical again. Yeah, so Dyke scored his last penalty. He also scored a, luckily, he scored one for um, Scotland against Austria. It was a bad penalty, <laughs> but he did get it in the back of the net. Do we think, you know, Austin's got, a, he tries to go for a bit more sort of finesse placement, whereas obviously Dykes just smashes it. Obviously, it can go wrong, go over the bar. But if Dykes gets it on target, you know, a lot of the time the power's going to help him and just sort of take it over the line. Do we, what do you guys think? Do we have a problem with penalties? Nah, I think nah, it's that's a it, bit of an overreaction. I, think. I mean, Austin has been taking penalties for years. Like, he's missed his last couple. You know, people miss penalties. He's, he's scored more than he's missed. You know, I'm sure he'll be back working on his pens. I wouldn't say we have a penalty problem. Just think, you know, we've just had bad luck in the last couple. There we go. Twitter, we have a, pro- we have a problem yeah, getting them, not taking them. We have yeah, a problem getting them. Yeah, that is true. We've always had a bit of a problem though, because I remember when we had like Matt Smith, he would constantly get fouled. We'd never get a penalty for that. I think refs always just look at him and sort of think, "There's no way you should be going down that easily." Whereas if he was skinnier and like sort of the size of chair, he would have got so many penalties because people just climb on him. Like, he literally used to climb on his back, didn't they? Yeah. From corners, literally. <laughs> <sort of climbing. laughs> yeah. And he'd have his arms up while the guy was hanging off, like one defender <laughs> hanging off one arm, one hanging off the other. And the ref would be play on. <laughs> You're fine, mate. You're fine. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, we as long as if we can get a few more penalties, maybe we'll see in a bit of improvement. Um, but regardless of that, we, we never got going, did we? It was so, it was just so slow. It was stale from the moment really that they, we conceded that first goal. We never got going. Um like you said, we, did, we didn't close anyone down. And that, in a sense, leads to the second goal. Because from my memory, I had a, a bit of a look before we came on about with the first goal. I didn't look at the second one. But from my memory, it was just, we let him run at us, don't we? It's just no closing down. We don't really do anything. And they score. Dan, what was, what was your thoughts on the second goal? Um. Well, I think it came from a throw-in initially. Um, I think Amos, it was at the time, it was Amos and Johansson on the pitch. And I think they were both marking the, the other two midfielders, um, which we touched on earlier. Obviously, they had, a, they had a numerical advantage in the middle. Then obviously, Brantich gets the ball. I think he drives it, drives into the space and then has a shot from, what, 20, 25 yards out. And yeah, there was no pressure on him. Um, it's just the story of our life off the ball, really. Um, yeah, I haven't really got anything else other than that to add. Micah, any thoughts? It was deserved, really, for Stoke, wasn't it? Yeah, do you know what? I was impressed by Stoke. Obviously, I feel like if we had a full strength squad, it's probably a different story. But um, I was impressed by Stoke. I was impressed by Michael O'Neill. I've always thought he was a good manager. <clears throat> I thought he'd worked wonders with Northern Ireland. So it's good to see him sort of getting a chance in the championship. What I would say about Stoke is that I think if Stoke do make the playoffs, which I expect them to do, I think they have a really good chance of doing that because I just think, especially Saturday, the way they were set up, the way they counter-attacked us, the way they were organised off the ball, patient, took their chances, that's kind of what you need in the playoffs. So you like, you know, we benefited from being a team like that seven years ago now. I think Stoke, if they make the playoffs, they will be right up there and there will be a problem. Probably like they'd benefit a bit more from the fact that there's a cup, you know, no one out of the playoff teams you would say, well, West Brom perhaps, but you look at it and go, there's no like Brentford there where you know someone's yeah. like des- destined to go up eventually. Mm, yeah. There's just a couple of teams maybe starting out on a journey towards that. Whereas mm. last season, I think Bournemouth tried that a little bit, didn't they? In the second leg, sat back a little bit too much, tried to play on the counter and just never got the job done. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much that, really. Good side, really good side. <clears throat> Tyrese Campbell is a striker. He is a very good striker. Um, yeah, I personally think on another day with a full-strength team, that's a different game. Um, but yeah, you've got to give Stoke their credit. I thought they were really good on um, on Sunday. Yep, fair enough. And talking about giving credit where it's due, um, I think it would be wrong of us not to mention the crazy cameo at the end. So I'd like to bring this sort of meeting of the George Thomas Appreciation Society 
to order. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's not had much of a chance and he's a little bit of a boo boy for some people. For whatever reason, people don't like to cheer on their own fat players. But I thought when he came on, he at least created something, made a couple of forward runs. He got unlucky. I th- he had two headed chances, which one of them was tipped over the bar, perhaps. And then another one sort of just went round the post. And f- from where I was sitting, I think everyone in South Africa roadstand thought that was in because it just looked like it was going to curl in. And I tell you what, that would have been a fantastic moment. And he really probably should have scored with his one-on-one. But I think he, he hasn't done his chances of actually getting selected a bit more often. No harm there, has he, Dan? No, no, no. I think, how, how long did he have one exactly? Was it? Because he walked me uh, probably about 10 minutes or less. Yeah, he created, he created three chances in 10 minutes. Well, just from his, I mean, you know what he's going to bring? He brings high energy, movement. He'll make runs off the ball. And he did that for the, for the chances he got. I do think he should have scored that one-on-one. Um, although Davies did come out and he obviously was confident all game. So maybe that plays a factor into it. I don't know. But no, I think he certainly had more more movement than than Austin, just in general. Austin doesn't have much mobility outside the six-yard box, as we know. And I think Thomas offered us that. And I think he can offer us that in games down the line. Um it's hard for him to get in the team, though, generally anyway, because you obviously you've got the two best players, Cher and Willock, ahead of him. Um, but no, I don't think, I agree, I don't think it's done any, his chances any any harm at all. I don't think he's going to be, like, starting anytime soon, but he needs to be used a bit more off the bench just for that sort of energy and a bit of, not creativity, but this sort of, he does have a bit of a sort of mindless running to him a little bit. And he will just run and run and run. And for those 10 minutes, he'll pressure teams. And um, he created chances in a game where we weren't creating anything. And we were just too slow and too laboured throughout the whole thing. So that's something that surely you've got to look at and think, well, he's at least worth a punt at some point. He made, he, he made an impact off the bench at Reading for, for the last, last minute goal. Yeah, uh, I think he made the run from about, what, inside our own half and, and then played the ball into a domer. Um, I thought he would have been used against Blackpool when we were, I think, 20 minutes to go. I think he brought on Austin as well, um, as, alongside Dykes. I thought he could have added some as a link between uh, midfield and attack just to give that energy because we, did, we didn't have any energy up top of, against Blackpool. But no, I think I think he needs to be used a little bit more. Well, for me anyway. When Amos came on, I turned around to my dad and said, like, they don't act, managers don't ever actually change anything, do they? They just do like-for-like swaps a lot of the time. Um, And, you know, it's difficult, I guess, to completely rip up your tactics mid-game. But when you're bringing on, you know, Amos did score against Huddersfield, okay. But what was Dazelle doing? Or like, you know, what's the point of bringing on another centre-mid for a centre-mid? You're not actually changing the fact that we're getting overrun in midfield. You're not subbing off... The, the wing backs that are struggling because they're not really meant to be playing in that position. You're not giving more support up front. You're not taking off perhaps Chair, who had a poor game, or Willock, who was not as good as he usually is. And, you know, trying to put on an extra striker so we have a bit more of a focal point. I understand that he's got less in his squad now, but we all know like he likes playing with, or he likes having small squads. So he's got to use everyone and everyone's got to have a little bit of every position but he never it, it just remains the same thing at least try and do something a little bit different to make Stoke have to think about what they're doing for the next couple of minutes otherwise they can just carry on you know I just feel like regardless of how much energy Amos brought and he won the ball back a few times brilliant but there was a tactical and sort of structural reason why we weren't playing very well and he wasn't willing enough to just say, fine, we'll start again. Let's bring on Thomas. Let's bring on Duke McKenna. Players that haven't, you know, that maybe not going to get us promoted, but they need a bit more time on the pitch. They might do something a bit different rather than just going through the motions and doing the same subs as always. I don't know what you. I'm surprised he didn't go 
add an extra attacker or rather, I think was it Austin for Thomas? Was it direct? What um like for like? Um, um I'm not sure. I can't remember. <clears throat> I don't no, think they were on the same he time. Took, he they? took gray, he took gray, put gray on, That's sorry, but Austin. Thomas came off it. came on for field. Oh, sorry, it was a little bit more attacking there, but it wasn't with ten minutes to go, it didn't really scream as if it had any intent or it, there was any purpose really behind it. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's a weird one with his light for a lot. I can understand bringing on Amos at times. He does give that energy. And I think give, um, oh, was it was it Huddersfield as well as scoring? He was um, quite good. Or was it was he all right coming off the bench? I can't remember who he was, what he was he, like coming off the bench. He played well. He off came the off the bench well against Black. Sorry, Alex, go on. He scored against Huddersfield and he has played well off the bench, but yeah, Blackburn at home, he was really good off the bench, I thought. Yeah, but that was when we had the Black, they were just sitting back, and there was you know, obvious that we were gonna eventually well, not obvious, but it felt like we would score. We then never felt like we were gonna score, and he kind mm-hmm. of we like you said, we've been overrunning midfield. It's just that sort of taking off a midfielder to bring on another midfielder. If you add another one in there, maybe that does something. Add him in and let him do all the sort of like dirty work of winning the ball back and being high intensity. And then Dazelle and Johansson can go and do a bit more attacking play. It would have given us more balance in the midfield rather than just sort of saying, Amos, you go and win the ball and you've got to go and change the game as well. Like it doesn't, it never felt like that was going to achieve anything. Yeah, no, I get, I get what you're saying with the midfield, and it didn't really, it didn't really like feel like he was fixing it. It was again more like a plugging someone in for for the I, I don't. It's a tough one because we know Warburton isn't really flexible, even though he has. I get he has a small squad, but there's just times where the the minor the the minor um, tweaks can make such a difference, and it just doesn't feel like he wants he wants he wants to do that a lot of the time. He he's almost. He's a very good man manager, um, but I'm not sure whether the, the tactical element of his flexibility is is high at this point. I yeah, I, you... I agree with you, Dan. I think he's he's a good man manager, and he's very clearly a very very good coach of players, very good improver and developer of players. I have always said from the first season, the tactical side has been lacking, and I think some Brentford fans and Rangers fans had said that in the past. But, you know, I think his job was to come in, improve the players in the team. And we found ourselves in a situation where we have to get promoted. Um, what the solution is, I don't know. Um, maybe people talk about a defensive coach. Honestly, I think if we could bring in a coach that specialises in pressing and sort of pressing traps and whatever, I think that would help us a lot more than just a defensive coach, in my opinion. But I do think it might be time for the club to bring in a coach and just let him accept a little bit of help. Yeah. Um, one last thing before we move on, and it kind of relates to the penalty and to Austin in particular. Um, but there was quite a lot of abuse on Twitter after the game. Directed at him in particular, a few other players as well, I guess. But it's bizarre, isn't it? Like we've just come from a... A month where we've been, we feel like we're on top of the world, even though we've only finished up third at the end of that month. And now we've, after one game where it hasn't gone quite, quite right, um, everyone's sort of losing their minds again. But what, what, yeah, yeah, but like what you know, to see it's just a miracle that any player wants to come back to us, isn't it? Because Mm. Austin, you know, you'd imagine he's loved, cared for, and the fact that he's taken a pay cut, no doubt, to come and play for us would probably be a huge thing. And yet he's getting abuse all the time. What what are you guys sort of like when you see that sort of stuff, like it just demoralizes me a little bit. What what do you guys think? Yeah, I felt especially bad for him because I think he had a really good game without scoring against Derby. And obviously the game before that he'd scored against Luton. So I just felt like had he scored on had he scored that penalty, I thought that would have set off a really great Charlie Austin style run of form. Um, to be honest with you, am I surprised? I wish I could say I was. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that a club legend that the ilk of Charlie Austin got abused to the extent that he got. But at this point, with Twitter and with QPR fans on Twitter, 
I'm just not surprised, genuinely. From from when um, Josh Schoen's dad was getting abused, that's when I realised nothing could surprise me with Twitter anymore. Okay, so uh, moving on from the disappointment of Stoke, every week brings a new week uh, opportunity to better another mediocre championship side or for QPR to really frustrate us. So this week at Sheffield United moves again to Monday night, if I'm correct, because Sky, in, you know, like us so much. Um, what sort of team do we need to put out here? Do we need to change it up? back full time or is it is it more sort of round pegs in square holes it depends depends on who's back available I don't think any of the wing backs are back available for for Monday um, I can see well I think he will persist with it and it's, it wouldn't be the end of the world for me if we did because then it's not a they play a very similar formation, so it would be just matching up and trying to beat them individually, although with their quality um, or individual quality um, could be an issue, but I can't see him. I can't see him changing it, to be fair. So let's um, put a team together ourselves here. Um, what formation, you know, what, what do we want to go for? Are we going to, if we were picking the team between the three of us, what we, would you want a back four, or would you stick as it is, Micah? Um, hard to say because I don't know who's fit. To be honest, we can get a team out. If same, it's, it's, let's say it's the same again as Stoke. <laughs> if it's the same again as Stoke, yeah. If it's the same again as Stoke, I think you just have to go with a back four. Okay, if that's what we've got available. So let's go down this avenue and give ourselves some false hope. I assume we'll we'll have Dicking uh sorry, not Dicking Gull, <laughs> Dieng and Gull. Um and then it would probably be Kakai right back and Barbe left back, yeah. Yeah. Um and then Dunn and Dicky midfield. Then you know this midfield. is sort of, sorry. <laughs> oh this is oh this podcast deteriorating very well, quickly. Warburton's not that flexible <laughs> <laughs> Dicky and Dunn centre backs defence, not midfield. Okay, because I was thinking of the next question, which was going to be, what then do we do in midfield? Do we, you know, I think um, you suggested earlier on, Micah, that you wanted uh, your chair and Willock more of sort of like a left attacking and right attacking midfielders rather than wingers. Trying to play like two attacking midfielders in that way, we'd then go to three in the midfield. Yeah, Johansson, Dazelle, Amstrad, and Field. Field of Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's Yeah, I don't think I'd like to see Field given an opportunity in his best position, and then obviously it's Austin up front, isn't it? I, get- I think I, I think I would have Cheren Willock wide to start with because they'll naturally drift. I think if they start start narrow then it's it's a very narrow formation against I, I think like when I say attacking with I kind of give them the I'll give them the license to go really where they want in that forward area and they can they do obviously go wide at times but they don't have to stick to one wing I think that's the big sort of problem there um obviously in that sort of formation they're still trying to play like we do with the five at the back when they go wide both those players you have the right wing back or the left wing back bombing on up the other side and putting pressure on so that if the ball goes all the way across there's another player there to mop it up but or if there's nothing on on the left they can move the ball back across to the right and start the move again um obviously we lose that with the with just having a two full backs rather than wing backs but you know if the, if they end up pushing up, then we're left exposed at the back, and we may as well just play the wing back formation. So I don't know. It's it's a difficult one because this is the problem. We're not actually we don't have the players to to play four at the back consistently. And one of the biggest problems we have, I've mentioned this to Dan already, but it's it's a nice problem. But 
our two best players kind of play the same role or play in the same position at least. And to get the team to work, you have to have Chair and you have to have Willock in the team. If it, it would possibly be a little bit easier and, you know, I don't wish that either of them to leave at this point, but if we only had one of them, would it be just a little bit easier just to create a more balanced side? A bit more flexibility as well. Means your hands and comes forward a little bit more. I don't know. Just a suggestion. Another suggestion, another suggestion I've got is we play almost a four. What would it be? A four-four-two, but a diamond variation. So you have field as the as the holder. You play Dazelle and Steph as either side of the of the, the midfield two, and then you play chair behind as a ten, and you play Willock as a second striker um, alongside. Likely, it'll be Austin. Um, you've got a bit of a width problem again with same with the three two. You've got a bit of a width problem again with the fullbacks that we have because they're not you, gonna you do, them. you do, but I think with Chair and Willock, they naturally drift wide anyway. You see them especially on the uh, more so on the left, but you see them drift wide. So I don't I think we're gonna have a width problem, whatever, even if we play um field and kakai as wingbacks, because they're not natural wingbacks. So I don't know what we're gonna do, but I think we've just got to, we've got to go with something and, and stick with it, or, or yeah. Okay. Um, regardless of what team gets put out by Warburton in the next game, what do we need to do? You know, uh, actually performance-wise, what can we do to improve on Stoke? Uh, I don't think they're going to pose the same threat and off off the counter. Um, I mean, Sheffield United have got, I'd imagine it'll be Billy Sharp, McGoldrick and Gibbs White, who three very good players, but yeah. aren't blessed with. I think Gibbs White is the one that are blessed with the most pace, but it'll more be quick combinations, movement. They're, 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 they're very good at that kind of thing. So I don't think the counter is something to worry about. Um, moving the ball quickly would be obviously something pretty obvious and something Warb- Warbson always always goes on about because obviously they're they are blessed with individual quality so they're as good on the ball as, as we are um I don't think there's there's nothing in particular particular that stands out to me that we've got to do but we we, we do need to be solid solid defensively or uncompact at least because they, they they've got players like Gibbs white that from a moment of magic he can just produce something out of nothing yeah Micah what do you think yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because I think with Sheffield United, since Jokanovic has gone and Heckingbottom's come in, they've switched to uh, back three. It's a 3-4-3 three, three, or a 3-4-2-1, is whatever it is. Um, and with that is obviously we tend to play quite a similar shape. So I wonder if we are going to have the same problems one off the counter, like Dan said. I'm not sure that we will. They're not a particularly pacey team. And two, I'm not sure we're going to feel as overloaded in midfield as we did against Stoke. Um, I think it'll be more of a case on Saturday of how well can we play our game. Um, You know, I say that now, it might come back to bite me, but it's about how well can we play our game? Can we get the ball down and play it? Um, What we have to remember is, you know, Sheffield United, they are down there. They're not as high up in the table as us. They're not doing as well as maybe... People expected them to, but they're still quality players in that team. Still very quality players in that team. What? One thing I would wonder is, considering that we don't have much pace ourselves and we can get caught out in the back line, I wonder if Heckingbottom is thinking of maybe putting Brewster in one of those front three positions just to give us... He might be injured. Right there. I think he might be injured. Oh, I think. Uh, Yeah, no, yeah, I was just... A press conference of Cardiff and he's got a hamstring injury. So that won't be for All right, for well, us. If, that's, if that's the case, then <laughs> scratch that, scratch what I just said. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a very different game on Saturday for sure. Though Sheffield United are in a good run of form, we should point that out. Yeah, I think if there's one thing that I'd like to see us improve on, um, and I think it's something that Johansson does need to do a bit more, is that when we get the ball on the edge of the box and when we are trying to you know, build up ahead of seam a little bit, we 
try, especially at the weekend against Stoke, we tried on too many occasions to go and pass it into the back of the net. If it opens up on the edge of the box, just have a crack. You don't know what's going to happen. It could take a deflection. It could go out for a corner. It could go in. Just have a go. Have a few more shots from the edge of the box. I just think there was too many times because I look at the I'm looking at the stats now and I'm shocked that we apparently had over 20 shots. That I never felt like that in the game. Yeah. Nine of them were on target. I just don't believe that that's true. But like, it must be because it's on the BBC's website. Um, but yeah, it goes for Willock as well. Willock and Chair getting got into some really nice positions at times and then never. Never pull the trigger, or he didn't even put the ball into the box. It was too slow. It was sort of they were trying to beat their man it. all the time, and it was just getting a bit frustrating. Yeah, Do you think that's an instruction, though? Yeah, I think, think it that's... is because I remember no, when it is. I've, I've read, I read when he first came to the club, he'd done an interview with. I think it was the London. I was going to say the exact same thing that I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Michael, you you can take the credit for this. Yeah, no, he said he said uh, it was in our first season. He said he tells them not to shoot. Outside, I think it might be a uh, XG numbers driven thing. I'm not completely. Yeah, he's, he's very data driven, isn't he? Yeah, we we don't we purposely don't shoot outside the box, and then you see like the goals that Willock and Chair have scored this season. The goals Chair was scoring at Stevenage, you think, oh man, just like have a go and just shoot. It's yeah, it was it all stemmed from the fact that Chair was scoring. I mean, because he was playing in the league uh, below him, really, <clears throat> but he was just scoring screamers every week for Stevenage, wasn't he? comes back to us and he's told not to do that. I, I do like, it's sort of bizarre, isn't it? Because he sees it as a wasted opportunity or a wasted pass. If it's Cher and Willock doing it, I don't see it as a wasted opportunity. If it's Barbie and Dickie getting a, like, ideas above their station, yeah, that's a wasted opportunity, mate. But, you know, having your two most talented players have a crack at it when they've proven that they can do it before, that's not a wasted pass. It's just bizarre. And some, you know... The way where we sort of think about it in that way, there's a li- imagine there's a little bit of Warburton who, when we Willock scored that goal against, I was going to say, I was just going to say, that. would have been annoyed. Yeah, he's absolutely so angry that they haven't done another two passes and they've passed it into the back of the net after like sweating it across the goalkeeper or something. It's bizarre, isn't it? It's just <clears throat> you get up the other end and you score a goal, goal by all means necessary just do anything to score a goal um it gets yeah. more again it gets more frustrating when when we lose it from that situation and then they'll go and score off a counter attack that's when it that's when it's really infuriating yeah because i just felt like we kept hold of it a little bit too long at times um so we mentioned them a few of their players already uh, the opposition for Monday, Sheffield United. What do we think of their sort of season so far? What the way they've been playing recently? Dan, you're usually quite good for breaking down the opposition here. No pressure. Um, well, I haven't. I didn't really watch them much under Ivanovic. Um, he's notoriously known for his slow starts. I mean, I was surprised when they sacked him. If I'm honest. Um, then they get a hecking pot, hecking bottom, who which is probably a controversial appointment, or for at least I thought it was. Unexpected, um, I'd say. It's probably the best Yeah. One. Well, wasn't he there last season at the end of yeah. the Premier League campaign? Yeah. yeah. So he's, he kind of knows the club, not inside out, but he knows the, um, the club quite well. Um, obviously, like Micah said, they played the back three. They've stuck with the back three formation. Um, has Heckingbottom as a manager is quite interesting because he's more of a well, especially especially at Barnsley, he was more of a high pressing kind of like um, well, kind of like Barnsley were under Ishmael, just like pure pressing, winning the ball back. But obviously, he's got better players at his disposal, so there are a bit more technically. But he has got slightly older players, you know, pressing from the front. Yeah, are you going to do that with McGoldrick? I, I don't and think Charles? they press. I don't think they press as well. I mean, you can't. It's hard to tell anyway because they've only played two games under Heckingbottom, so it's very, it's a very um, small sample. But I don't think they press as much as he, he, he'd probably want them to. I don't think this is worthy of the sort of raising the gag and pressing alarm and curse against us again. But it is, you know, would you be slightly worried about someone then as a manager who's shown pressing in his previous jobs? We look at us when we're pressed a little bit, we sort of crumble. 
would you just be a little bit worried that he's going to decide to change it a little bit for us? Maybe. I mean, I, it, it depends. I haven't caught any of their two last two games, so I can't. I'm not. I'm not entirely um, knowledgeable on on how Sheffield United press under him, but I'd be very surprised if it instantly changes just from one game. Um, it takes time um, to I mean, learn. If, so, if they had Bruce, though, it'd be more likely, probably, wouldn't it? Pro- yeah, probably. I think. I mean, you can still press with like of Billy Sharp. It's just about how how it's structured, that kind of thing. I think we could see a more aggressive aggressive Sheffield United um, than maybe they have been. But yeah, it doesn't bode well for us when when teams like we saw against Derby in the first half when teams go right up against you high. Um, and obviously, Austin isn't really the best out ball compared to Dykes. He's not someone you can lump the ball forward to and always win the header or always keep it and shield it and link it up. So if they if they do play us um, quite aggressively, then it could be a warrior. Michael, have you seen much of Sheffield United at all this season? Yeah, just a little bit, mainly because I thought, you know, they were going to be one of the teams that I thought we would be battling for promotion or the playoffs with, and that hasn't really turned out to be the case. I've, I've, I've caught a couple of their last games. They obviously drew with Coventry, which interestingly is the game that got Jukanovic the sack, which is their best result in ages. Um, they are unbeaten in three. They are, they are unbeaten in four, sorry, and they've won three on the bounce. Um, I think it's worth noting that they beat Reading away, uh, which to be fair, we didn't do. Um, they beat a pretty average Bristol City team that's in turmoil. Uh, in a bit of free fall at the moment, and they beat Cardiff, uh, but they were 1-0 down before Sean Morrison got sent off uh, and then went on to win and still conceded another goal. So I wouldn't say that they've turned the corner under Hecking Bottom. It's, it's, it reeks a bit of new manager bounce. It reeks a bit of guy who knows the club has brought everyone together and everyone sort of banded together towards common cause. Um, as a team, as a club, um, there's a lot to be said for that like quote-unquote loser mentality. I think they won what, three games last season, four games. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what, what the number is, but there seems to be a bit of that loser mentality mentality around the club where they kind of, you know, go a goal down and they're like, oh, we're not going to win this. Um, so I think the, the key for us, I think, is to score early on Saturday, get into their heads a bit. Um, <clears throat> we should be beating them, I think. You know, there's good players there. But it's, there's a lot more wrong with the club than the team. If you know, well, you guys know what I mean. You support QPR. We we were in that situation. Um, but um, I think it's it's one of those teams that I think are going to have to, <clears throat> as a club, they're going to have to go through that kind of rebuild process that we went through in the past seven years. Probably won't take as long, but um, we we should be beating them. I think we should be able to beat them. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at uh, their sort of key players from what I was looking at their highlights. Obviously, it's Billy Sharp and really Morgan Gibbs-White. Everything mm. went through Gibbs-White on, on the highlights. Norwood's a good player. Norwood's been all right this season. He's been very good. Yeah, he's, uh, I think he's underrated personally. I think he's one of yeah. the best mid, uh, one of the best midfielders in the league. He's a great player. Yeah. But, you know, just looking at the highlights, I was so impressed in the little snippets that you would see of Gibbs-White. And obviously, he's going to probably go on to have a very good career. Uh, when he goes back to Wolves, he's only on loan, surely, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he had a good loan spell at Swansea before injury, didn't he? <clears throat> mm. So, yeah, you know, I, I expect him to be featuring quite promptly. And also, Billy Sharp, we know what he does. He's kind of like, you know, he's scored so many goals, hasn't he? In the, is it is he at the... How many goals has he scored in the Championship? Is he like the top scorer now for, I think he's the oh, EFL yeah. top scorer or something. That he must be. be. I saw that. I saw something like the other week. He scored like over 100 <clears throat> goals, hasn't he? So, you know, he just, he, he'll be there. He'll do what we expect Charlie Austin to do and score goals. But yeah, it's interesting you say that, actually, Alex, because <clears throat> a lot of their fans have got on his back a bit about his all round performances this year. I mean, he's got six goals, I think, six or seven goals. But I've seen on Twitter a few of his fans, I follow, I follow a few Sheffield United fans, a few of their fans have been a little bit on his back a bit about his all round game. So, you know, I'm not sure if that's relevant, but yeah, yeah. I've, I've, it's that. interesting. So it's not just your fans all the time, then, is it? Not just us, yeah. Not just um, us. The other thing, though, is that they obviously they like you said lose a mentality, Micah, and they come down from the Premier League in a very 
uh, after a very bruising season for them, playing behind closed doors, they never got going at all. They were really, really poor last season. Um, I'd look at their sort of their squad, and I know that you say there's some good players there, but there's a lot of players that were very much punching above their weight in the Premier League. Possibly, you could argue are, are average, below average in the Championship. Because they went yeah. straight from League One Championship Premier League, didn't they? They didn't. There was no sort of extended time in the Championship, so a lot of these players have come. Well, I don't know how many, but I imagine there's still a few that have been left over from League One. And for me, you look at their forwards. Obviously, Billy Sharp. We know what he does. Scores quite plenty of goals in the EFL. Goldrick. I think he's okay. He's 30 goals in 129 appearances for Sheffield United. Then you get into their three other strikers. Brewster, like you said, he might be out, but he's only scored three in 42 performances. McBurney, eight in 79 games, and uh, Musset, nine in 53. So I don't think they're, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of Premier League games in those in those statistics, but I don't think they've got, they're not fantastic strikers. They're mid-table players at best, really, in the championship on their current form. Um, I don't know. I just I think they've got a very underwhelming side, and I don't think they're sort of they were destined to go straight back up, unlike sort of Fulham or to a certain extent Bournemouth. You know, they've got those, those sides have got better <laughs> players and deserve to be at the top top end of the prem, of the championship. Whereas yeah. I just don't think Sheffield United have it, and they could they could come back and play really well and beat us. And I'm not saying that isn't possible. <laughs> really, the saying, stars now, isn't it? I'm yeah, just saying, like though, yeah, it, I think you look at the squad and it's 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 very much a Championship squad. It's not really that, that, that shows the credit to Wilder because <clears throat> you know you, you can have the quality all the quality players in, in the yeah. world, but if you don't have the players in the right system to suit it, then it doesn't it doesn't doesn't function properly. So he, he definitely had a system um, that suited the players and that's how they that's how they did well. I yeah. think what's happened a little bit as well is that their trick up the sleeve was the overlapping centre-backs. And I think not only did teams kind of work out how to combat that, now you're seeing a lot of teams actually implement that themselves. And, <clears throat> you know, I do feel sorry for Chris Wilder in that respect because, you know, obviously like, centre-backs marauding forward. It's, it's not like a new thing in football, but obviously the way he did it was very new. And with kind of the restraints that you have at, she at a club like Sheffield United, he didn't really have the resources maybe to go and sort of take that style a little bit further. So I, I do feel I do feel bad for Chris Wilder in that respect and bad for Sheffield United in that respect. But yeah, it's football. I guess uh, just to go back to that sort of striker point, Connor Washington scored 14 goals in 98 games for QPR. It's not too far off that, you know, for a couple of those, those um, records for the, their strikers. So, I think McBurney, McBurney's a, well, he knows this division inside out. I think under Potter, he scored about 25 goals. Yeah, 25. Yeah. He's, he's kind of that Mitchell striker in between, in between the divisions. But I think McBurney, if he's given game time, uh, he's, a, he's a good striker in this division. I think you're being very generous there to say that to compare him to Mitrovic. That is, well, no, no, I, think, I wasn't comparing Look at the international records because McBurney's never I scored. Scotland, though. I was for Scotland, Serbia, Serbia. Dykesy, Dykesy scored plenty of goals for Scotland. Crucial, important goals as well. You know, McBurney's never scored for Scotland. And yes, the Scotland side has improved recently, but he was he got a few games under Steve Clark as well. He never scored. He didn't look. He looked so rubbish any time Scott he played for Scotland, and Scotland just looked like they were never going to score with him up front. Obviously, that's when he was playing in the Premier League. So you, maybe you argue now if he starts banging them in in the Championship, he plays for Scotland, he scores. But I'm sure he would have picked up some caps when he was playing for Swansea in the Championship. But you know, just what I just don't think he's. I just don't think he's very good. <laughs> um, the decision to sack Yukanovic, I know you've already touched on it a little bit, Dan, but do we think that was a good decision? Um, probably not. Uh, Yukanovic, what, he's got promoted two out of his three seasons in the Championship and one of them that he didn't get uh, 
Premier League was a playoff place, I think. Um, like I touched on earlier, he was notoriously known for his slow starts at, at clubs and giving a manager what? Just, was it three or out of three months, something like that? It's, it's, hardly, it's hardly showing his faith, uh, their faith in, in a manager who has well, got very good, uh, very good pedigree at um, championship level. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going from. I'm speaking from the outside. I don't know what's going on in that club, but um, it did seem a bit rushed for my liking, at least. Okay, um, so we forgot to do him last week, and I think we can take the blame for QPR losing because he didn't predict a scoreline. So this week, we are not going to forget. Starting with Micah, uh, what do you think for the Sheffield United game? I am going to say that Rangers are going to sneak a 1-0 win. Okay, and Dan? For the, for the Sheffield United game? Yep. Um, I'm going to go 1-0. 1-0. Okay, I'm going to go 4-3 with a McBurney hat-trick. And uh, <laughs> we're going to win. <laughs> uh, like you said, written in the stars that they're going to... If that, if that happens, I'll actually get fireworks and put them on display. <laughs> Well, you know, it, I, that's obviously not going to happen. It's probably going to be like 2-1 or something like that. I think we've got, we'll bounce back, but 2-1. And it's, it's, it's all down to sort of how they react and how we're set up. Um, finally, just for this week, we're going to cover, we haven't got that long at all, but um, the FA Cup draw did take place. Uh, just a quick, some quick thoughts. QPR versus Rotherham at home. What do you think? Absolutely of that? reeks. Absolutely I, I, reeks. I was, I was having a with I was having a party after the draw. It was that. It was that exciting. <laughs> we are hundred percent. That has got one nil defeat written all over it. We're going out. It's going to be embarrassing. Uh, it's going to be like a Stephen Duke McKenna own goal, and everyone on Twitter is going to abuse him. It's. It's. Don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't even mind going out of the FA Cup though. It's not it's well, not priority. You've jumped the gun. My second question was we have the third our round. Cup, we are our we cup, interested in even going deep into this cup? No. Even though even though I prefer the FA Cup to the Carabao Cup, no. See, the thing is, I would have said no until we got robbed of that Sunderland goal. And now I just feel like we, we deserve revenge. Like I want us to win and get Sunderland in the in the fourth round. That's what I want. Then we can go. We can go out in the fifth round if we have to. But I want us. We need to avenge Sunderland. Are Sunderland even in the fourth, uh, the third round. I don't know. No, but put them back in. Are they? Yeah, I think they got knocked out. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I was going to say because they um they played them the weekend in League One. Yeah. So that's that that, that revenge. If they're out, if they're out, put them back in it. I'll write to the FA to put them back in. <laughs> yeah, I'm unfinished business. Mike, it's, it, mate, it's not worth it. Leave them alone. It is worth it, Alex. <laughs> um, like personally, for me though, I was kind of a bit disappointed. I was watching it, and you had West Ham and Arsenal still in the pot, and we've gone on for ages, seeing all these other teams come out, and I just thought if we could get Arsenal away or something like that, that'd be fantastic. I don't, I, I've. I think I'm probably going to go to the game. I don't really want to. to be I'm uh, going to go. Uh, I think I'm going to give that a miss. I like, think I'm giving that a miss. If it was West Ham or Arsenal away, I'd be like, yep, yeah, go in. I'll, I'll do whatever I can to get into that. Because it would have just been good to have a, maybe, you know, we lose to them eventually. But, you know, if we had a good good account of ourselves, then, you know, everyone yeah. sort of goes, oh, we were, you know, we QPR were, aren't we that bad. Number. We were one number away from getting a Kidderminster away, which, all right, it's not a good game, but away from home in a non-league side, that's a decent, for me, that's a decent that, bet. Yeah, I would have got, I'd have definitely been interested in Kidderminster as well. Um, so, was there any other games, actually, from the draw that sort of stood out for you? Um, I think you've got, now I've got, now I've got to think it's, back to the draw. Yeah, who's Liverpool, Liverpool versus Man, Shrewsbury. Swindon. Yeah. Tottenham Morecambe. Tottenham v Morecambe. Uh, Obviously, Kidderminster got Reading at home. Uh, Millwall versus Crystal Palace. That will be a good one. Palace Millwall. That will be a good one. I got family members that support Palace. They're definitely ready for a scrap. Uh, I don't. I don't <laughs> like Crystal Palace, so that doesn't interest me. Why? Because they stole Leze. <laughs> no, no, not because of that. No, no, they're, they're local to me, and their fans are. All right. Yeah. 
So you're you're a Brighton fan now. I'm not, I'm not going to go on about that. So the funny well, thing, uh, no, I'm not fat. I'm into a game. Yeah, I'm waiting for us to go to the prem. The funny thing about the Mill Crystal Palace one is all the suggestions of um, it's EDL versus BLM on Twitter. <laughs> 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 oh my god! Yeah, it will be that will be an interesting one. Yeah, with, yeah. Uh, I think well, Palace said that. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they take the knee pre-game. And we'll see how that goes down. I think because they've got um, Brighton playing Palace very soon as well. So like the week before, the week before, I'm oh, going to try and post that game actually. So the Met Police are like just they're loving it, <laughs> working overtime. Yeah. Um, so well, I think there's there's like six London games on that weekend. It's it's not as bad as the last round of the. One of the League Cup games, we had like <clears throat> Fulham, QPR, Brentford and Chelsea all playing at home on the same day. Goodness me. If, if you wanted to rob a store, that would be the time to do it, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be the time. No police around. Right. Uh, we're going to have to call the end of the podcast there. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify so you can get the next podcast as quickly as possible follow but all three of us on twitter at various different accounts and also follow our generation at our generation net on twitter as well uh so yeah thank you very much for listening and until next time come on you us <laughs>